I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, if you already haven't. Last Sunday, in the first half of chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews highlighted for us some extraordinary implications of the new covenant that God has established with us. He highlighted that through the shedding of Christ's all atoning blood on the cross, we who are in Christ by repentant faith, we have been sanctified, verse 10. This means that we have been declared by and are being made by God to be holy. We have been declared holy by God and for God forever. We have been sanctified, verse 10. We've been made perfect, verse 14 made perfect for our eternal fellowship with God that has begun already and will exist forever. Verse 16, upon our hearts and minds, God has written the laws of his word that we would love and serve him and others with an earnest sincerity, a heart level sincerity. And... As if all of that weren't enough, extraordinary enough, verse 17, man, chew on this, God has erased from his memory our every sin and lawless deed that had formerly made us his enemies, erased it from his mind. These are the extraordinary implications of the new covenant that God has established with those of us who are underneath the blood of Christ by faith. And now, as we come to verse 19, the author of Hebrews writes, therefore, and of course that means that what he's about to say directly corresponds with what he's been saying with the implications of the new covenant. And so, I'd invite you to follow along as I read. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. By your Holy Spirit, would you give us understanding of your word, that we would believe it and that we would live according to it, 
that we would draw near and hold fast together as your people who bear your name in your world for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray this together. Amen. So in verses 19, 20, and 21, the writer of this letter brings to a head the extraordinary implications of the new covenant. And then in verses 22 through 25, he urges his Jewish Christian audience, and us, of course, by the Holy Spirit, he urges us to embrace three amazing privileges that belong to us as new covenant Christians. And those three privileges, which you're, you might be scouring the text right now, what, what, where's the privilege? We'll, we'll, they're there, and we'll see them in just a second. And those three privileges will serve as our outline in just a few moments. So let's, not in our outline just yet, let's examine what is being said in verses 19 through 21, okay? Think of this as an extended intro or a setting of the stage. For the 1,500 years when the Israelites were under the old covenant that God had made with them at Mount Sinai, for that 1,500-year duration, no one but the high priest was permitted to enter the place of holiness inside the temple tabernacle where God's presence dwelt. Nobody but the high priest could ever enter into God's presence. And as he entered, even if he were to do everything by the book, he could never enter that holy place confidently. In fact, on the Day of Atonement, as the high priest would enter through the temple curtain into the Holy of Holies, he would bring with him a bowl or a censer of burning incense. And it wasn't because he simply liked the smell of burning incense. It was because he needed to shield himself. He needed to create enough smoke that he wouldn't even inadvertently set his eyes upon the mercy seat of God's presence. If he did, he would die. Here's what I'm getting at. For 1,500 years under the old covenant, only one of God's people could ever enter God's presence once a year, and he could only do so with much trepidation and worry I mean they covered the high priest with bells so that when he dropped dead they would hear and could fish out his body but then glory in the year AD 33 when God's son, Jesus Christ, cried out from the cross of Calvary, it is finished. At the very moment when Christ breathed his last, the temple curtain that had served as a barrier between God and man for 1,500 years was torn down the middle from top to bottom. And this was God's way of signifying that the old covenant hadn't just simply been slightly amended. It hadn't just been renewed. 
or some details added on, tacked on to the end. No, 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 no. A whole-blown, completely new covenant had been ratified with the pouring of Jesus' blood and the declaration of it is finished. The old is gone. The new has come. Through faith in Jesus, in Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice, through faith in Jesus, who is our eternal heavenly high priest, every single one of God's people, old and young, young and old, rich and poor, red and yellow, black and white. You know the song, right? Everyone, every single one of God's people, not just the high priest, can enter God's presence and we can enter the most holy of God's presence anytime we want and anywhere we are because he is no longer confined, so to speak, to an earthly room behind an earthly curtain inside an earthly tabernacle. God's presence, of course, because he is omnipresent, is everywhere, and yet God's presence resides in a very specific and precious way. God's presence resides wherever Christ is believed and loved and exalted. God is here. God is here among us. And unlike the former days of the old covenant, we can enter God's presence with ironclad confidence because we are his blood-bought sons and daughters. He delights in you. I mean, he's pleased with you. Paste in not some sort of blasphemous way, but copy and paste the words that he speaks over his son in Matthew 4 when Jesus was baptized. Behold, you are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Ironclad confidence to enter before the throne of grace. We are blood-bought sons and daughters. We have every right to draw near. All of this is in view in verses 19 through 21 when the author writes this. Therefore, brothers, and that word Greek, brothers, adelphos, brothers and sisters in this context. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new way, and the always open way that he has secured for us. And since we now have him as our great and eternal high priest over the whole house of God, not just the tribe of Israel, over the whole dang house, because of all this, verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another. Let's get each other fired up over the fact that you and I are Christians under a new and better and lasting covenant in Christ. These, verse 22, 23, 
and 24, 25, these are three amazing privileges. You've got to see them. We've got to see these as the privileges they are that are now ours because of and underneath the new covenant. And we, you and I, we'd be crazy not to embrace these three privileges with everything we've got. We'd be crazy. So for the remainder of our time, let's consider each one of these privileges. And we will outline, outline them like this. I'll, I'll, let, me, let me paraphrase these three privileges. We could just do point number one, let us draw near. Point number two, let us hold fast. Point number three, let us consider. But you know what? We're we gonna put it in this. this. For, uh, point one, let us be prayer warriors, y'all. Let us be prayer warriors. Get fired up. Let's be prayer warriors. Number two, let us be gospel believers, y'all. I mean really believing the gospel. Again and again and again and again, let us be gospel believers. Point number three, let us be church builders. Let us be church builders. So number one, let us be prayer warriors. And we're looking exclusively at verse 22. When the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a beautiful description of prayer and it is a compelling invitation to pray. Let us draw near. Let us go before him with a true heart. You wanna know what that means, with a true heart, with a genuine heart, with a real heart, with a sincere heart. We don't have to pretend that we're more devout than we are. In fact, we've got to put off the pretending already. He knows everything about you. And guess what? Left in your own shoes, you're a wretch and so am I. But no longer we are wretches made righteous. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And so if we are no longer condemned for being the hack jobs we are, as God is growing us up into Christ's likeness, then why on earth do we have to put off an air? Let's be true in our hearts and real and forthright before God and before one another. This is the seed of authenticity and vulnerability, you know. He won't forsake us. He already knows the hack job he's rescued in me. He's not gonna forsake me. He's not gonna forsake you. So let us draw near to God and let's go before him with a full assurance of faith. In this particular context of prayer, that is this, back to the word, ironclad, confident trust that when you pray, if you pray in Jesus' name, man, you're under the blood, believer. If you pray, can you not already be fully confident that the groanings of your heart is being heard loud and clear by the only ear that matters? You don't have to have your words all in order correctly. Nobody does. But God sees the posture of your heart. He hears the groanings. He hears and sees your needs, your longings. He hears. Let's be confident about that already with a full assurance of faith that our prayers are heard. And we'll talk about the effectiveness of our prayers here in a moment. 
Let's draw near to God and let's go before him with our hearts sprinkled clean. The old covenant couldn't even dream of something like this. Under the old, the blood of bulls and goats, they had to be repeatedly sprinkled before the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and they could never, ever, 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 ever silence the guilty conscience of the heart. No sinner for 1,500 years of old covenant worship ever felt the absolving of, oh my God, I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed, I'm yours, and nothing's ever going to change that. Not another sacrifice needs to be made, nothing can be added to it, I'm just yours now. Didn't exist under the old covenant, but it does now. The blood of the perfect son of God that has been sprinkled upon our hearts causing us to be born again, 1 Peter 1, 3, causing our hearts to be regenerated miraculously by the Holy Spirit before our choosing to come to him, causing our hearts to be born again. That perfect blood of the Son of God has so thoroughly washed away our every sin, even our unbelief, even our moments of unbelief. The perfect blood of Jesus has so thoroughly washed away our sins that God doesn't even remember we committed them. What? It's a repeat of of last week. How much of my life do I spend holding over my own head? Things that I I did, I knew they were wrong. I hold that sin over my head as if that's the one sin that Jesus couldn't quite wash away with his blood. And the father's like, what sin, Chris? What are you even talking about? That's amazing. (laughs) What an inexplicably glorious thought. And all of this is what the cleansing waters of baptism is meant to convey. That our sinful hearts have been utterly washed and that we have been raised from death to life. This is baptism. And thank God, I know that everyone in the city of Worcester has been baptized like 14 times, but we now have children who are growing up into the faith. We're going to start dunking people like it's crazy, right? Because this, by God's grace, is going to take place. Our hearts have been, and our youngins, they will be completely, utterly washed, raised from death to life, and we're going to see that declaration in the tank. We're going to see it. And we're going to rejoice in it. Brothers and sisters, by Christ and through Christ and to Christ, you and I have been granted every right and reason to draw near to the throne of grace as confident sons and daughters. But why do you think it is that every single one of us, if we were asked, would say, I don't pray nearly as often as I should? I fumble around with it. I mean, I get bored with it. Actually, my prayer life right now is in the tank. Why do you think that is? Do you neglect to pray? I'm going to ask you questions I'm asking myself. Do you neglect to draw near? You who should be a prayer warrior and me, do you neglect to draw near because you don't think you're worthy enough to pray? 
That's a lie from Satan. And it needs to be silenced right now. Your heavenly father placed every one of your sins, past, present, and future, upon his son, who then died as your substitute on the cross. And then your heavenly father took the perfect righteousness that Christ had merited through his sinless obedience, and he placed it all on you. The medal of honor that Christ earned has been placed around your neck. And you don't think you're worthy enough to draw near. That's a lie from Satan. Shut him up. When you don't think you're worthy enough to pray, remind yourself of 1 Peter 3.12. The eyes of the Lord are now on you, his righteous son or daughter, and his ears are open to your prayer. Silence the enemy with that. And there's a litany of other passages you might silence him. How about this? Do you neglect to pray, brother or sister? I'm asking myself the same question. Because you don't think anything will be accomplished by it. That's another lie from Satan. God's trustworthy word repeatedly insists to us things happen when we pray. It's a profound mystery, but it deserves our full acceptance that according to God's wise providence, things happen when you pray. Things that wouldn't otherwise take place take place because you pray in the grand scheme of God's providential wisdom. You've got to pray. And so do I. Draw near to God, prayer warrior. Think about this. What heights of magnificent love from God have you even yet to experience because you're not asking for it and drawing near? What depths of peace despite the turmoil that is happening out there, what depths of peace have you yet to taste because you're not drawing near and crying out for it? You don't believe he'll give it to you. We're like the wilderness generation wandering around the wilderness. We don't believe that God will actually do what he says, which is that he'll answer our prayers in his time and in his way. What fears of yours have you been living with that need to be silenced already because you just daggone need, you need to start praying about it. Set your hour for every, or set your alarm for every hour on the hour. What strivings in your life need to be put to rest? And you'll be able to when you start drawing near to God, prayer warrior. When you don't think anything will be accomplished by your prayers, remind yourself of Romans 8.32. Remind yourself of this. How will God not graciously give you all things after he has gone so far as to put his own son to death to make you his? How will God not graciously give to you all things after he has gone so far as to put his own son to death to make you his? That's only the first privilege, and we're like sailing at 24 minutes. So here we go. I got to fast forward the button here. Point number one, let's be prayer warriors. Point number two, let's be gospel believers. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This confession of our hope is the gospel, y'all. This isn't some super long confession that's hard to memorize. 
Our confession of our hope is this. Christ crucified and resurrected to save sinners. That's it. We don't graduate from that. We don't get smarter than that. We don't start applying more things to ourselves than that. But the original recipients of this letter, the Jewish Christians, probably in Rome, probably in 66 AD, they weren't holding fast to this. That's why the writer of Hebrews had to write this letter to the Hebrews. The Jewish Christians to whom he's writing, they were wavering. They were fluctuating. They were drifting back into an old covenant that no longer exists. They were flirting with something that isn't even possible. They were heaping up on themselves all of these ordinances. God, Christ has come. We're on to the new covenant. It seems so basic and unprofound and repetitious to say to a room full of believers, believe the gospel. But I think it's Martin Luther I'm reminded of right now. He, he had to preach. He said, I have to preach the gospel every Sunday because my, congrega- my congregation and I, we forget it. By the time every Sunday comes around, we forget the good news. So guess what? Every Sunday, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. Let's continue to believe that we have been justified and that we have been and are being sanctified and that we surely will be glorified according to the solo effort, the solo merit of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sins and who rose to life that we would be resurrected with him in life. Let us continue to believe and let us continue to to do so for the precise reason that the writer of Hebrews gives to us right here. Because he who promised is faithful. I mean, it's the same idea that the Apostle Paul has on his mind when he pens Philippians 1.6. And he tells this whole church in Philippi, I am sure of this, brothers and sisters in Christ, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the capital D day of Christ. Because guess what? He who promised to bring you home will bring you home. Let's continue to believe this gospel and let us not mistake quickly how easy it is to waver into the same error that these Jewish Christians were drifting into. Here's the error. To start walking through scripture, and man, there is a lot of goodness in here that we can just hit the ground running and applying to ourselves and obeying. Trust and obey. But here's the danger. Here's the error that my legalistic heart is prone to, just like these Jewish Christians. It's to start gaining a little bit of traction. Oh man, I was able to put off lust for a bit today, and wow, I've... I don't feel like I've been as arrogant as I normally am today. And wow, I was really, really kind of patient with my kids back there today. And we start to feel as though we are sweetening the deal for God. You're welcome, God. I just want to please you. You know, I'm here to, here to just be your guy, right? You've saved me. You've done so many good things for me. And you got this ball started, but I'm going to keep it rolling. 
I'm going to do it. I have, my, I have my sleeves rolled up and those brothers and sisters of mine who aren't making quite as good progress in the same areas, I'm going to look down my nose at them. That's what the Jewish Christians were doing in their own church. Wow. He hasn't put that off yet. That's pretty JV, man. Like that's, that's for beginners, right? This is what the Jewish Christians were doing. But last I checked, the perfect life, sacrificial substitutionary death, the burial in the tomb and the miraculous, grandiose, glorious resurrection of Christ. How in the heck am I going to add anything to that? How in the heck am I going to sweeten the deal for a holy God who demands nothing less than absolute perfection? And I think because I have a decent day today, I'm making enough progress to kind of puff my chest a little bit. Come on. Shut up, legalist. Shut your mouth. It's Christ from start to finish. Shut your mouth. Humble yourself and receive the grace of Christ, right? I'm preaching that to myself. And maybe, maybe you, I don't know. <laughs> Our fallen selves are always looking for a way to pick ourselves up and to give ourselves partial credit for it. But we must hold fast. It's not passive. We need to grip continuously. We need to squeeze ongoingly. It's a laborious language that's being used here because it's this. We have to work hard at remembering that no hard work of ours can add anything to the medal of honor that Christ has already hung around our necks. We got to work hard at remembering that there's no hard work that can be done to sweeten the deal. Glory, glory, it's Jesus from start to finish. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's the second privilege. Here's the third. The third privilege that the writer of Hebrews urges us to embrace as new covenant Christians. Let us be church builders, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we might stir up one another I'm not coming into church as some sort of consumer. Gosh, I hope, as soon as I see the bulletin, that I like the songs that are being sung. And I hope that they have that roast of coffee on today. And I hope that one of the maple cream sticks or whatever you Wisterians call it, I hope that that's left over in the cat. I hope that my bulletin isn't folded wrongly. I hope that I get the seat that I want. Stop it! Let us consider how to stir up one another. We're not here to consume, we're here to build. How we might consider, or yeah, to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as was the habit of some of these Jewish Christians, some of their Gentile members of their church who weren't as old covenant enough. They were separating themselves, they were distancing themselves. And if they got around to showing up on Sunday and Wednesday, that's great, that's great. It's great for you that I show up. They were neglecting to meet with other blood-bought believers because of some tiffle, if that's even a word. They were in the habit of looking down their noses, their judgmental noses, and neglecting to meet with the church. And there are a million other distractions out there. Whatever it is that your excuse is for neglecting the meeting of the saints, it's a terrible excuse. 
and so is mine. Because we're to get at encouraging one another. And all the more, do you hear the urgency there? For all you know, Hotshot and me, Jesus is coming back tonight. For all you know, that puts a different perspective. If you knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus was coming back tonight, Sunday morning, I guarantee you, I know where you would be. Right here, pumped and pumping up other people. We got a king we got to welcome. It's a little difficult to stir up love and good works in your fellow church member when you habitually don't make it to gatherings. A little hard. A little difficult to encourage your fellow church member who desperately needs your encouragement today. Think of it like prayer. If it's true, and it is, that there are some things that within God's providential wisdom, it will only come into fruition if you pray for it. Think about it this way. If that's true, and it is, then there are people right here in this room, in this sweltering hot room waiting for donuts. There are people, there is a person in this room who so desperately needs a word of encouragement. They need you to put your shoes on and do it. Because if you don't, by God's divine appointment, no one else will. You are to do it. You are to be a church builder today. And so am I. Immediate practical implication or application. As soon as we're done, pray. Even now, Holy Spirit, show me someone who needs a big old bear hug from a stranger and, and somebody to rattle them and say, you know what? Get after it. Get after God. Get after Christ. Believe his gospel. Hold fast to him. It's worth it. Let's be church builders, not church avoiders. I'm actually so sick and tired of church avoiders, and it starts with me. You're either saved or you're not. And if you are, start acting like it. A blood-bought son and daughter of the king. You can't wriggle out of that salvation. He's going to keep you tethered. But goodness, would you be here and participate? Build his church. What are we doing if not? Right. Maybe it's just the heat. Maybe it's the allergies. I'm feeling cranky right now all of a sudden. <laughs> and there's no doubt that we need a slightly bigger space to gather it, like a physical building. I'm not talking about that. All right, we have, we're, we have a building committee that's looking into that. But would you recognize with me how big a privilege it is that God has made us his own and forged us to be a family Y'all aren't going to shake free from this relationship with me no matter how cantankerous and annoying and aggravated because of the heat in here I can be. You're not going to shake free because we're together now forever in Christ. Forever. I don't even know where I am anymore in this. <laughs> I'll just end with this. My roommate in college, he made a deal with me. He said, Chris... Let's wake each other up every morning at seven. We went to a Christian college and we were just getting a taste of really what living for Christ on our own felt like. He said, let's wake each other up every morning at seven, which if you're in college, that is so early. <laughs> Even with five kids, it's so early. 
He said, let's do this. Let's pump each other up to follow after Jesus today and let's do it while we're doing push-ups. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't tell you how much it helped every single day that year. We were up. Let's love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Let's love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's do this because Christ has welcomed us into his family, right? Yeah, I, that, that was too many. I would have burned out about five minutes ago. Point is, you get, what my, you get what my point is. You get what my point is. And that is the building work. What if each one of us started to consider the Sunday and Wednesday gathering as an opportunity to lean in to a brother or sister and squeeze them, hold fast, come on, come on. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Let's put our trust in God. Let's put our hope in God. Let's do it. He's coming, Jesus is coming, maybe, maybe tonight. It's one thing to profess that we are new covenant beneficiaries. It's another thing to put these benefits into practice. I think it's a fitting time for me to end, and I want to end on this note, a very, very, very serious note. One that has to do with the, um, with the drawing near. Prayer warriors. Um, our own Carl Rehm, a member and CG leader here at, at Oaks, um, has received news this week that they're anticipating three months left in his cancer bout, uh, unless this new wave of, of some medicine happens to gain some traction. He's been given three months life expectancy. And I am, uh, so that uh, elder pastors today at two, we get to go to their house and we're gonna James 5, 14, we're gonna lay hands, we're gonna anoint him with oil and we're gonna cry out for the Lord to work in a healing way. His will being done is our petition but of course, we're gonna lay at his feet our desire. We're gonna do that. But I would ask for you to join me. I've been saying this as an example, but would you set on your phone an alarm for every hour of the day? And when that alarm goes off, take 10 seconds and draw near to the throne of grace with us for help in time of need. Cry out, yes, your will be done. It's, it's the prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane. If there is a way that this cup could pass from Carl, then please, Lord, nevertheless, your will be done because your will, despite what we may think, despite what we may feel, your will is always right. It's always perfect. It's always on time. It's always good. Will you do that with me? Will you be prayer warriors with me this very day? Will you be church builders with me this very day? a word of encouragement to a brother or sister. Would you be a gospel believer with me this day that you have not done anything to add what Christ has already done and you with all your licentious sinfulness, yeah, you need to repent and confess it before the Lord and it's time to grow up, but you haven't wiggled out of your way or out of the way of God's hold on you. He will hold me fast and I can then hold fast to him, you and I. Let's pray together. 
I'm gonna pray this way. Father, thank you for your word. It is living and active and so fitting for us at every turn. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you, God, the Holy Spirit, you are in the business of bringing beauty from ashes. You are in the business of resurrecting dead souls. And you are in the business. You have the power to do as you please regarding Carl Ream, our brother, our faithful servant, our dear friend. We ask you, we lay our request at your feet. We do ask you that by Jesus, you would heal him. We do ask that. We cry out for that with boldness, with confidence. And we know, submitting this to your will, that your will will be done and it will be good for us. It will be good for Carl and Alice. Help us to to hang our hat in peace on that. And almighty God, we ask that you would absolutely engulf Carl and Alice right now with that precious peace that surpasses diagnoses, it surpasses all understanding. Would you minister to them right now in a way that only you can? We petition your hand for his healing. We entrust it to your will for your glory, for your power, for your exaltation, your dominion in all things, through all things, and at all times and places. We pray this in Jesus' name. It's in his name we pray. Amen.